about blessing for the next five weeks. And then in addition to that, to kind of add some more foundation and some meat to it, we have partnered with a friend of ours, a sister church of ours, and it is called Life Christian Church. Their pastor, Pastor Terry Smith, he wrote a 28-day kind of devotional book called The Lord Bless You. And this hardback book is sold for $16.99, and we have a few copies available for you to purchase at our Connect Center for just $10. And so if you would like to, these next five weeks, if you would like to really dive into this whole idea of blessing and what God has in mind for your life, you can get this 28-day devotional book to kind of help you uh, along the way. So again, I'm glad that you're here today, and I wanted to start off with saying bless you because I wanted to bless you even before you sneeze. You know, we all, we all know that the, the societal norm, the thing that we all do if someone sneezes is to say, bless you. And sometimes we're so accustomed to doing that, we don't really take into account where we are or what's happening around us when that plays out. For example, I have been in this room on a Sunday preaching and heard someone in the audience sneeze and then heard about six or seven people yell out to them, bless you. And have you ever wondered, though, have you ever wondered why it is that people say bless you when someone around them sneezes? Or why you say it? Where did this whole idea of bless you when someone sneezes, where did this come from? Well, you got to look to history. All the way back to AD 600, there was an epidemic of the bubonic plague that was going around. It was spreading rapidly, and sneezing was an early and obvious symptom that someone had this dreaded disease. So Pope Gregory the Great, he issued an edict ordering everyone within earshot of that sneeze to utter an immediate prayer asking God to save the sneezer from the plague. And that prayer was simply, God bless you. God bless you. And you know, I really like this idea that when a person manifests a symptom of sickness, not a symptom of goodness, not a symptom of worthiness, but when someone manifests a symptom of sickness, that those around them start praying. And it's not just any prayer, it's the prayer, the Lord bless you. May God deliver you from that sickness and restore you to good health. And as odd as all of that may seem, bless you. Everyone say, bless you. Bless you captures the heart of God for people in ways large and small since the very beginning. It's really God's heart. The very first description of God's interaction with the people that he had created is found in Genesis 1.28 where we are told this, God blessed 
them. It says he creates man and woman in his image, and then what's he do? He blesses them. And then he gives them purpose. He purposed them, and he tells them what he made them to do. Genesis 1, 27 through 28 says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. It is impossible today and for these next five weeks for me to overstate how important this is. You see, I like to imagine God standing in the Garden of Eden, standing in perfection, standing in paradise with the very first man, the very first woman, our great, 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 great grandma and grandpa, newly made in the image of God, and God is passionately declaring his love for them, and he's telling them how much he values them, He's telling them how badly he wants to be in relationship with them. He tells them how he is longing to have them partner with him in his work. And then I think he swears to them that he would do good to them, and he promised that he would help them do good in this world as well. And he blesses them. Bless you. But then, of course, figuratively and literally, the first man and the first woman, they sneeze. They sneeze and they fell sick. They fell very, very, very sick, and their sickness has been passed on from generation to generation. And it is the explanation as to why all of us are born sick. And of course, I'm talking about what we now identify as the fall, the point in time in which sin enters into human history. Because God, he gave this first man, Adam, this first woman, Eve, he gave them a choice as to whether or not to do life his way or to do it their way. And they, of course, they chose to do life their way. And that plague of sin, it infected the human race. I'm infected right now. And and you are as well. And now humanity is sick. However, they're going to still know good, but they're going to also now know evil. And because of their own choice, they're not going to just experience blessing but they're also going to experience the curse. And simply put, to be cursed, because two simultaneous things are happening in my world and your world and in our world, there is blessing and there is cursing. And to be cursed simply means that we would live life outside of God's full blessing. But we must, and it's the reason for this series, we must not forget that even before the man and the woman sneezed, 
God said, bless you. Blessing is what God wanted in the beginning, and blessing is what God is determined to have in the end, and blessing is what God is wanting for you now. And everything in history is a response to what happens in those first three chapters of Genesis. There are three fundamentally important things that God tells us about himself, that he tells us about people, and that he tells us about the world in the first three chapters of Genesis. Number one, the first is this. In that creation narrative, as we're reading about God creating all things, we learn what God wanted and what he still wants. He wants a relationship with men and women whom he can bless and who will join him in his work. And he wants a world, he wants cities, he wants counties, he wants states, he wants countries that looks and functions like Eden. A place full of perfection, a place that is a paradise, a place where there is rest, a place where there is real relationship with him. The second thing that we see in the fall where we allow sin to separate us from God, we learn how God allowed humanity to decide whether or not they wanted the life God wanted, and they said no. They said no, and the sickness of sin and the curse have plagued this planet and the human race ever since. And so now, along with good, there's evil. Along with blessing, there is cursing. And then number three, God stands in the garden. He looks at the newly cursed man and woman, and he offers what I call the Arnold Schwarzenegger prophecy. He says, I'll be back. Because someday a man's going to come from this woman and undo the damage that has been done here. And he, of course, was talking about the reason for our gathering here today about Jesus Christ, who at the right moment in human history comes and does what needs to be done to redeem humanity from the curse and bring God's full blessing back. Jesus does this. He accomplishes this through his life, his death, his resurrection, and ultimately his exaltation. But here is the point. Before humanity ever even fell sick, before we ever even got the virus, God had prepared the cure. God, and here's... here's the, the big takeaway from what we're looking at in this first part of Genesis, God is going to have in the end what he wanted in the beginning. And he's going to accomplish that through the work of Jesus Christ. Everything in history, actually, everything in history is about this. Everything in our lives is about this. Scripture ends. When you, when you go to the very last book of the Bible, go to the very last 
chapter of your Bible, the Holy Bible, the Word of God, the Scripture, it ends with those who believe in Jesus living together in a renewed heaven and a renewed earth in a place called the Garden City that is a restoration of Eden to this planet. And it is a Garden City because there's going to be so many of us. And it tells us in Revelation 22.3, no longer will there be any curse. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Meaning that in the last chapter of Scripture, God has what he wanted in the first chapter of Scripture, and that is men and women created in his image whom he can bless and who will fulfill their God-designed purpose. And of course, there will be no more curse. Why? Well, that's because that's what God wanted from the very beginning. No curse, only blessing. You might be sitting there saying, okay, maybe that's what God wanted in the beginning. Cool, and that's what he's going to have in the end. Well, well, we'll see. But what about now? And that's a really good question. Because what God wanted in the beginning and what he's going to have in the end is an indication of what our lives should look like now. Because, yes, we live in a world that is sick, but through Jesus, we can live in and experience his blessing now. Because what Adam, that first man, what he messed up, Jesus has put back together. And though we won't see this fully manifest until the age to come, we can experience some of that reality and some of that power now. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he writes about it in Romans 5, and he says this in verse 17. He says, For if by the trespass of the one man... Death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? I, I want today to introduce to you or to remind you that there is a world of blessing that is ours right now through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verse number 3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And we can learn how to appropriate these blessings, to bring them out of the world of spirit possibilities and into the world of the physical, the practical, and the lived, meaning you and I, we can, even though we face challenges in our life, we can experience these blessings right now. And when we do, we experience less wilderness and we experience more Eden in every area of our lives. 
Do you know that there are many scholars that believe that blessing is actually the entire theme of the Scripture, that everything in the Bible is ultimately about the kind of relationship that God is wanting to have with people like you and me and how much He's wanting to bless us. See, some of us find that very hard to believe. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that because religion has told us just the opposite. And many of us, not only have we, because of being the descendants of Adam and Eve, do we have the sickness of a human sinful nature, some of us carry the sickness of a religious spirit, of a religious outlook, of a religious attitude. You see, religion has infected us and has caused us to believe that God is angry, aloof, distant, judgmental, that we can never do enough, that he only rewards those who perform. We, we have been infected to view one another and to view life through a lens of religion, one that is harsh and judgmental. But God is not like that. God is wanting to bless us. Do you know that there are over 500 scriptures that speak of blessing. And if you live every single day with an expectation that God is wanting to bless you, it's going to impact everything about your life. The bottom line is that God wants to bless you. There's two things that I want to share with you about this concept of God wants to bless you. Number one, and this is really the big idea of the series, to be blessed. To be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God who wants to do good in us, to us, and through us. I'll say that again if you're taking notes. It's also on the screen, but to be blessed because we also have false ideas of what it means to be blessed. To be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God who wants to do good in us, who wants to do good to us, and who wants to do good through us. You know, various scholars, they, they define the word blessing in Scripture in similar ways. They say, say things such as, God's blessing on people involves his positive regard for them, the desire to see that they enjoy the truly good things in life. Other scholars have said blessing has to do with being in favor with God and under his protection and care. It has also been defined as, and this is my personal favorite, considering the vision, the vision and the mission of our church, that blessing is multidimensional flourishing. I love that because here at our church, we exist. We exist to make life matter for all people by bringing them fully alive, leading them to flourish, and equipping them to live fulfilled. And one scholar says that blessing is multidimensional multi flourishing, physically, socially, and spiritually. But the 
for the purpose of our time together today, we're describing blessing like this. To be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God who wants to do good in us, to us, and through us. But I want to break that down just for a moment. The first part. To be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God. Harmonious relationship with God. Without question, the most fundamentally important part of Adam and Eve being blessed in the garden was the relationship that they had with God. God was fully present in their lives and they were fully present in his life and they walked together, they talked together. There was a connection, there was intimacy, there, there was something real. It wasn't concepts and ideas, it was real. There, there was stuff known in the mind, there was stuff experienced in the emotions, there was a connection that was powerful. But sin is what messes up that harmonious relationship with God, but Jesus brought it back. And Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1 puts it like this. Since we have been made right with God by our faith, we have peace with God. This happened through our Lord Jesus Christ, who through our faith has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. And we are happy because of the hope that we have of sharing God's glory. When we believe in Jesus, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we call that around here making a fresh start. Where we just come to the point where we just say, you know what? It's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus. He's going to be my Lord. He's going to be my leader. The Bible says when we do that, we are made right with God and we have peace with God. And that word peace is related to the Hebrew concept of shalom and describes what it means to be at one with God and to experience absolute wholeness, full, harmonious, joyful, flourishing life. Does that sound good to anybody? I mean, look, the way things are in the world right now, I need more of this in my life. And peace in Scripture is about more than the absence of conflict. It's about everything working together the way that God intended it. This being made right with God, and as Paul says there in Romans 5, 2, having peace with God brings us into the blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy, and we are happy. We're happy. Fundamental key to true happiness, being in harmonious relationship with God. So to be blessed is to be in a harmonious relationship with God. You cannot live in a place of blessing separate and apart of an actual relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about religion I'm not talking about punching your church time card once every eight weeks. I'm not talking about doing good deeds and running in marathons to help out generous organizations. I'm talking about 
a real surrendered life to Jesus, it is impossible to have true blessing separate and apart from that. But in addition to that, to be blessed is to be in a harmonious relationship with God who wants to do good in us. Say that, in me. Who wants to do good in me. Here's the thing. You might already be a little bit resistant to this idea because you're thinking of all of the things in your life that would appear to you as though they are not good. All the things happening even right now that are not good. But the reality is, is that sometimes God is going to do good, do good to us in ways that do not initially feel or look like he is doing good to us. What your idea of good is and what his idea of good is at times are at odds with one another. <laughs> and there have been times in my life where quite frankly, I feel like what he thinks is good is not good at all. And I'm like, hey, bro, what's up? This is not cool. Like, this is not good. I don't want this. And he's like, trust me, it's good. It's really good. But God, in his desire to truly bless us, hear me today, is first and foremost interested in developing our character and transforming us from one kind of person to another kind of person. A better person who can live a better story and specifically those of us who are following Jesus, we are being transformed into his image and we're becoming more like him. Because the problem is we were born sick thanks to our grandpa. And if we do things our way, we live our lives looking more like grandpa. But if we surrender to Jesus, he then starts remodeling us and transforming us. And then we actually start looking less like grandpa Adam. And we start looking more like savior Jesus. But you know, that whole space and time is uncomfortable. And it sometimes, for some of us, somebody like me, it takes a while. But we're being transformed, and it's good. It's good because we're becoming more like Jesus. We're becoming more like Jesus. And even though it doesn't seem like good to us, we're becoming more like him. And it's about letting him transform us. And it's also about having him to help us with our perspective and with our expectation. Because a person who is in a state of blessing is going to always know that regardless of what is happening in their life, God is doing good to them. Check this out. There were, there were two boys. They were twins. 
but their parents got really, really worried because they were so vastly different. They looked alike, but they were different. One was a terrible pessimist, and the other was a complete optimist. And so they brought the twins. They were about five, six years old, maybe seven. They brought them to a psychiatrist to try to figure out if maybe there was a way to get what was in each of them to an extreme to kind of like into the other and just balance them out. And so the psychiatrist takes the boy that's a pessimist into a room that has got a mountain of brand new toys. And he's thinking, if anything's going to change his outlook and attitude, it's going to be a mountain of brand new toys. And the boy walks into the room, looks at the toys, and he begins to weep. And the psychiatrist says, son, what in the world is wrong? Look at all these toys. They're yours. And the boy said, I'm going to break every single one of them. And my parents are going to owe you so much money. So then the psychiatrist took the other twin, that was the optimist, and he took him into a room, and in this room there was a mountain of manure. And the little boy got all excited. This is amazing! And it blew the psychiatrist's mind because that was the response he was expecting from the other. And as he's standing there trying to wrap his brain around the excitement, the little boy starts climbing up on top of the mountain of manure and digging down into it. And the psychiatrist says, son, what in the world are you doing? And the little boy said, sir, with all of this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. I'm just trying to find it. Do you know that a person of faith, a person that understands that God is wanting to bless, a person that is living in a state of blessing, they always know that regardless of what is happening in life and regardless of what is happening to them, there is always a blessing in there somewhere. You just got to look and you got to dig and you just got to have the right outlook, but there's going to be a blessing in there somewhere. Look at what James says, James 1 Verse number two, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Let me just say, I got a bit of a problem with this passage, but when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So to be blessed means that we're in a harmonious relationship with God who wants to do good in us. He's transforming us. But he's also wanting to do good to us. You see, when you're blessed, good things are going to happen to you. Yes, there's going to be things that don't seem so good, but they're actually good happening in the inside of you that are causing your character to grow. But there's also going to be lots and lots of good things that are happening to you. 
The writer of Psalms, he put it like this in Psalms 103. He says, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. This life of blessing comes with a benefits package. Good things happen to blessed people. And, and these benefits, they, they manifest in each of our lives in different ways, but Scripture repeatedly tells us that God is going to meet our needs and even more than that, bring us into abundance. Psalms 66 speaks of this, verse number 12, when it says, we went through fire and through water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. And then there's the last piece to this. To be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God who wants to do good in us, who wants to do good to us, and who wants to do good through us. Through us. You see, part of the happiness of being blessed is that we get to bless others. Remember what God says to Abraham, the, the father of all nations, the father of all of us who says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Why? You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then look, what's the result of all of this blessing? And all people on earth will be blessed through you. What if the reason that God has blessed us Americans, what if the reason that God has blessed us living here in Lake Norman so much is because he wants to bless other people through us? And that it's not just about us getting more, us having more, but it's about what we are doing for others, how we are lifting up others, advancing others, giving hope and life to others. And you know, the New Testament teaches us that the blessing of Abraham is ours through Jesus Christ, and part of this blessing is that God is wanting to do good through us and that he is wanting to bless the world through us. And blessing must ultimately have something to do with partnering with God and with his work in this world because blessing is never just about us. It's always about God and it's always about his purposes. And he is wanting to bless us, and he's wanting to bless the world through us. Will you stand with me to, here today? Here's the last thing that I want to leave with you before I close. All of this talk of blessing, you might be standing there thinking about all of the reasons why this applies to everyone but you. And you might be thinking that because you are kind of fixated on 
all of the things that you don't get right, that you mess up, all of the, the issues that you have. You know yourself the best. You see yourself in the mirror. You know who you really are. And sometimes you love that. And sometimes you hate that. But whenever we're telling you that God wants to bless you and do all of these things in you and to you and through you, you're like, no, I don't know if that's for me. I can see that being true of the guy across the room, but I don't think that applies to me. And you feel that way because of shame. Honestly. We're ashamed of the stuff in our life that's just not the way it's supposed to be or the things that we wish that we were better. Shame. We all deal with shame. In fact... When you look at the very beginning, the first man and that first woman, our great-grandparents, they also dealt with shame. Even though God said, look, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you and I'm going to provide an antidote for the sickness before that thought of sickness ever even enters your mind, and I'm still going to bless you, they were so overcome with shame that they tried to avoid God, hide from God, run from God, and shame still has us doing those very things today. Avoid God, run from God, hide from God, try to pretend like he doesn't exist, trying to do things ourselves. It's shame. It's shame. In fact, in fact, this is what Brene Brown says about shame. She says this, shame is the intensity is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. The difference between shame and guilt is best understood as the difference between I am bad and I did something bad. Guilt is just as powerful as shame, but its influence is positive while shame's is destructive. And what I want you to know here today is this, that regardless of what you've done and regardless of how imperfect you are and regardless of how you might be struggling in some area or an aspect of your life, know this, God is going to bless you because he wants to bless you. God's going to bless you because he wants to bless you. And it's not about your circumstances. And it's not about your imperfections. And it's not about your shame. God's going to bless you because he wants to bless you. And I know this because of what Hebrews 10 says. Hebrews 10 verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with 
pure water. Confidence. Do you see that? Confidence. We can have confidence today. Confidence that when we call out to him, he hears us. Confidence that we can walk out of here and begin to know and to experience this life of blessing. Confidence. Why? Hebrews doesn't say it's because we've got it all together, because we dot all the I's and cross all the T's, because we do all of the religious calisthenics the exact way that we're supposed to do them. No, it says we have confidence because of the blood of Jesus and that we can draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. It all hinges today on faith on faith in Jesus. Will you close your eyes with me? Will you lift your hands with me all over this place? Because I want to pray for you today that in this moment, confidence will replace shame and that faith will replace anything else that you're dealing with in your life. I believe that God brought you here today because he's wanting you to know this life of blessing. He's wanting you to know how he intends to do good in you and to you and through you, but it takes faith to have that harmonious relationship with God. And that's where it starts today. We can have confidence because of our faith, not confidence because of our own goodness, not confidence because of our own self-righteousness, not confidence because we get it all right, confidence because of our faith in Jesus. Come on, friends, let's put faith in Jesus today. Lift your hands all over this place, and whether it's for the first time or for the first time in a long time, let's make a fresh start today, and let's put our faith in Jesus. Pray for